0: Part three of Common Sense by Thomas Paine. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Bob Newfeld. Common Sense by Thomas Paine, Part Three. Thoughts on the present state of American affairs. In the following pages I offer nothing more than simple facts, plain arguments, and common sense, and have no other preliminaries to settle with the reader than that he will divest himself of prejudice and prepossession, and suffer his reason and his feelings to determine for themselves, that he will put on, or rather that he will not put off, the true character of a man, and generously enlarge his views beyond the present day. Volumes have been written on the subject of the struggle between England and America. Men of all ranks have embarked in the controversy, from different motives and with various designs, but all have been ineffectual, and the period of debate is closed. Arms, as the last resource, decide this contest. The appeal was the choice of the king, and the continent hath accepted the challenge. It hath been reported of late Mr. Pelham, who, though an able minister, was not without his faults, that on his being attacked in the House of Commons, on the score that his measures were only of a temporary kind, replied, They will last my time. The name of ancestors will be remembered by future generations with detestation. The sun never shined on a cause of greater worth. "'Tis not the affair of a city, a county, a province, or a kingdom, but of a continent, of at least one-eighth part of the habitable globe. "'Tis not the concern of a day, a year, or an age. Posterity are virtually involved in the contest, and will be more or less affected, even to the end of time, by the proceedings now. Now is the seed-time of continental union, faith, and honor.' The least fracture now will be like a name engraved with the point of a pin on the tender rind of a young oak. The wound will enlarge with the tree, and posterity read it in full-grown characters. By referring the matter from argument to arms, a new era for politics is struck. A new method of thinking hath arisen. All plans, proposals, etc., prior to the 19th of April that is, to the commencement of hostilities, are like the almanacs of the last year, which, though proper then, are superseded and useless now. Whatever was advanced by the advocates on either side of the question then, terminated in one and the same point, that is, a union with Great Britain. The only difference between the parties was the method of effecting it, the one proposing force, the other friendship but it hath so far happened that the first hath failed and the second hath withdrawn her influence as much hath been said of the advantages of reconciliation which like an agreeable dream hath passed away and left us as we were it is but right that we should examine the contrary side of the argument and inquire into some of the many material injuries which these colonies sustain and will always sustain By being connected with and dependent on Great Britain. To examine that connection and dependence on the principles of nature and common sense, to see what we have trust to if separated, and what we are to expect if dependent. I have heard it asserted by some that as America hath flourished under her former connection with Great Britain, that the same connection is necessary towards her future happiness, and will always have the same effect. Nothing can be more fallacious than this kind of argument. We may as well assert that because a child has thrived upon milk that it is never to have meat, or that the first twenty years of our lives is to become a precedent for the next twenty. But even this is admitting more than is true, for I answer roundly that America would have flourished as much, and probably much more, had no European power had anything to do with her. The commerce, by which she hath enriched herself, are the necessaries of life, and will always have a market while eating is the custom of Europe. But she has protected us, say some. That she has engrossed us is true, and defended the continent at our expense as well as her own is admitted, and she would have defended Turkey with the same motive, that is, the sake of trade and dominion alas we have been long led away by ancient prejudices and made large sacrifices to superstition we have boasted the protection of great britain without considering that her motive was interest not attachment that she did not protect us from our enemies on our account but from her enemies on her own account from those who had no quarrel with us on any other account and who will always be our enemies on the same account let britain waive her pretensions to the continent or the continent throw off the dependence, and we should be at peace with france and spain were they at war with britain the miseries of hanover last war ought to warn us against connections it has lately been asserted in parliament that the colonies have no relation to each other but through the parent country that is that pennsylvania and the jerseys and so on for the rest our sister colonies by the way of England. This is certainly a very roundabout way of proving relationship, but it is the nearest and only true way of proving enemieship, if I may so call it. France and Spain never were nor perhaps ever will be our enemies as Americans, but as our being the subjects of Great Britain. But Britain is the parent country, some say than the more shame upon her conduct even brutes do not devour their young nor savages make war upon their families wherefore the assertion if true turns to her reproach but it happens not to be true or only partly so and the phrase "parents" or mother country hath been jesuitically adopted by the king and his parasites with a low papistical design of gaining an unfair bias on the credulous weakness of our minds. Europe, and not England, is the parent country of America. This new world hath been the asylum for the persecuted lovers of civil and religious liberty from every part of Europe. Hither have they fled not from the tender embraces of the mother, but from the cruelty of the monster and it is so far true of England, that the same tyranny which drove the first emigrants from home pursues their descendants still. In this extensive quarter of the globe we forget the narrow limits of three hundred and sixty miles, the extent of England, and carry our friendship on a larger scale. We claim brotherhood with every European Christian, and triumph in the generosity of the sentiment. It is pleasant to observe by what regular gradations we surmount the force of local prejudice as we enlarge our acquaintance with the world a man born in any town in england divided into parishes will naturally associate most with his fellow-parishioners because their interests in many cases will be common and distinguish him by the name of neighbor if he meet him but a few miles from home he drops the narrow idea of a street and salutes him by the name of townsman. if he travel out of the county and meet him in any other he forgets the minor divisions of street and town and calls him countryman that is countryman but if in their foreign excursions they should associate in france or any other part of europe their local remembrance would be enlarged into that of englishmen and by a just parody of reasoning all europeans meeting in america or any other quarter of the globe are countrymen for england holland germany or sweden when compared with the whole stand in the same places on the larger scale which the divisions of street town and county do on the smaller ones distinctions too limited for continental minds not one-third of the inhabitants even of this province are of english descent Wherefore I reprobate the phrase of parent or mother country applied to England only as being false, selfish, narrow, and ungenerous. But admitting that we are all of English descent, what does it amount to? Nothing. Britain, being now an open enemy, extinguishes every other name and title. And to say that a reconciliation is our duty is truly farcical the first king of england of the present line william the conqueror was a frenchman and half the peers of england are descendants from the same country therefore by the same method of reasoning england ought to be governed by france much has been said of the united strength of britain and the colonies that in conjunction they might bid defiance to the world but this is a mere presumption the fate of war is uncertain neither do the expressions mean anything for this continent would never suffer itself to be drained of inhabitants to support the british arms in either asia africa or europe besides what have we to do with setting the world at defiance our plan is commerce and that well attended to will secure us the peace and friendship of all europe because it is the interest of all europe to have america a free port her trade will always be a protection and her barrenness of gold and silver secure her from invaders i challenge the warmest advocate for reconciliation to show a single advantage that this continent can reap by being connected with great britain i repeat the challenge not a single advantage is derived our corn will fetch its price in any market in europe and our imported goods must be paid for buy them where you will but the injuries and disadvantages we sustain by that connection are without number and our duty to mankind at large as well as to ourselves instruct us to renounce the alliance because any submission to or dependence on great britain tends directly to involve this continent in european wars and quarrels and sets us at variance with nations who would otherwise seek our friendship and against whom we have neither anger nor complaint as europe is our market for trade we ought to form no partial connection with any part of it it is the true interest of america to steer clear of european contentions which she can never do while by her dependence on britain she is made the make-weight in the scale of British politics. Europe is too thickly planted with kingdoms to be long at peace, and whenever a war breaks out between England and any foreign power, the trade of America goes to ruin because of her connection with England. The next war may not turn out like the last, and should it not, The advocates for reconciliation now will be wishing for separation then, because neutrality in that case would be a safer convoy than a man of war. Everything that is right or natural pleads for separation. The blood of the slain, the weeping voice of nature, cries, "'Tis time to part.' Even the distance at which the almighty hath placed england and america is a strong and natural proof that the authority of the one over the other was never the design of heaven the time likewise at which the continent was discovered adds weight to the argument and the manner in which it was peopled increases the force of it the reformation was preceded by the discovery of america as if the almighty graciously meant to open a sanctuary to the persecuted in future years when home should afford neither friendship nor safety the authority of great britain over this continent is a form of government which sooner or later must have an end and a serious mind can draw no true pleasure by looking forward under the painful and positive conviction that what he calls the present constitution is merely temporary as parents we can have no joy knowing that this government is not sufficiently lasting to assure anything which we might bequeath to posterity and by a plain method of argument as we are running the next generation into debt we ought to do the work of it otherwise we use them meanly and pitifully in order to discover the line of our duty rightly we should take our children in our hand and fix our station a few years farther into life that eminence will present a prospect which a few present fears and prejudices conceal from our sight though i would carefully avoid giving unnecessary offence yet i am inclined to believe that all those who espouse the doctrine of reconciliation may be included within the following descriptions interested men who are not to be trusted weak men who cannot see prejudiced men who will not see and a certain set of moderate men who think better of the european world than it deserves and this last class by an ill-judged deliberation will be the cause of more calamities to this continent than all the other three it is the good fortune of many to live distant from the scene of sorrow the evil is not sufficient brought to their doors to make them feel the precariousness with which all american property is possessed but let our imaginations transport us for a few moments to Boston, that seat of wretchedness will teach us wisdom, and instruct us forever to renounce a power in whom we can have no trust. The inhabitants of that unfortunate city, who but a few months ago were in ease and affluence, have now no other alternative than to stay and starve, or turn and beg. Endangered by the fire of their friends, if they continue within the city, and plundered by the soldiery if they leave it. In their present condition they are prisoners without the hope of redemption, and in a general attack for their relief they would be exposed to the fury of both armies. Men of passive tempers look somewhat lightly over the offences of Britain, and still hoping for the best, are apt to call out, "'Come, come, we shall be friends again for all this.' but examine the passions and feelings of mankind bring the doctrine of reconciliation to the touchstone of nature and then tell me whether you can hereafter love honor and faithfully serve the power that hath carried fire and sword into your land if you cannot do all these then are you only deceiving yourselves and by your delay bringing ruin upon posterity your future connection with britain whom you can neither love nor honour, will be forced and unnatural, and being formed only on the plan of present convenience, will in a little time fall into a relapse more wretched than the first. But if you say you can still pass the violations over, then I ask, hath your house been burnt? Hath your property been destroyed before your face? are your wife and children destitute of a bed to lie on or bread to live on have you lost a parent or a child by their hands and yourself the ruined and wretched survivor if you have not then are you not a judge of those who have but if you have and still can shake hands with the murderers then are you unworthy of the name of husband father friend or lover and whatever may be your rank or title in life you have the heart of a coward and the spirit of a sycophant this is not inflaming or exaggerating matters but trying them by those feelings and affections which nature justifies and without which we should be incapable of discharging the social duties of life or enjoying the felicities of it i mean not to exhibit horror for the purpose of provoking revenge but to awaken us from fatal and unmanly slumbers, that we may pursue determinately some fixed object. It is not in the power of Britain or of Europe to conquer America, if she do not conquer herself by delay and timidity. The present winter is worth an age, if rightly employed, but if lost or neglected, the whole continent will partake of the misfortune, and there is no punishment which that man will deserve, be he who, or what, or where he will, that may be the means of sacrificing a season so precious and useful. It is repugnant to reason, to the universal order of things, to all examples from former ages, to suppose that this continent can longer remain subject to an external power. The most sanguine in Britain does not think so. The utmost stretch of a human wisdom cannot, at this time, compass a plan short of separation which can promise the continent even a year's security. Reconciliation is now a fallacious dream. Nature hath deserted the connection, and art cannot supply her place. For, as Milton wisely expresses, never can true reconcilement grow where wounds of deadly hate have pierced so deep every quiet method for peace hath been ineffectual our prayers have been rejected with disdain and only tended to convince us that nothing flatters vanity or confirms obstinacy in kings more than repeated petitioning and nothing hath contributed more than that very measure to make the kings of europe absolute witness denmark and sweden wherefore since nothing but blows will do for god's sake let us come to a final separation and not leave the next generation to be cutting throats under the violated unmeaning names of parent and child to say they will never attempt it again is idle and visionary we thought so at the repeal of the stamp act yet a year or two undeceived us as well may we suppose that nations which have been once defeated will never renew the quarrel as to government matters it is not in the power of britain to do this continent justice the business of it will soon be too weighty and intricate to be managed with any tolerable degree of convenience by a power so distant from us and so very ignorant of us for if they cannot conquer us they cannot govern us to be always running three or four thousand miles with a tale or a petition waiting four or five months for an answer which, when obtained, requires five or six more to explain it in, will in a few years be looked upon as folly and childishness. There was a time when it was proper, and there is a proper time for it to cease. Small islands, not capable of protecting themselves, are the proper objects for kingdoms to take under their care but there is something very absurd in supposing a continent to be perpetually governed by an island. In no instance hath nature made the satellite larger than its primary planet, and as England and America with respect to each other reverses the common order of nature, it is evident they belong to different systems, England to Europe, America to itself i am not induced by motives of pride party or resentment to espouse the doctrine of separation and independence i am clearly positively and conscientiously persuaded that it is the true interest of this continent to be so that everything short of that is mere patchwork that it can afford no lasting felicity that it is leaving the sword to our children and shrinking back at a time when a little more a little farther would have rendered this continent the glory of the earth. As Britain hath not manifested the least inclination towards a compromise, we may be assured that no terms can be obtained worthy the acceptance of the continent, or in any ways equal to the expense of blood and treasure we have already been put to. The object contended for ought always to bear some just proportion to the expense. The removal of North, or the whole detestable Junto, is a matter unworthy the millions we have expended. A temporary stoppage of trade was an inconvenience which would have sufficiently balanced the repeal of all acts complained of, had such repeals been obtained. But if the whole continent must take up arms, if every man must be a soldier, it is scarcely worth our while to fight against a contemptible ministry only. Dearly Dearly do we pay for the repeal of the acts, if that is all we fight for, for in a just estimation it is as great a folly to pay a bunker-hill price for law as for land, as I have always considered the independency of this continent as an event which sooner or later must arrive, so from the late rapid progress of the continent to maturity the event could not be far off. Wherefore, on the breaking out of hostilities, it was not worth while to have disputed a matter which time would have finally redressed unless we meant it to be in earnest otherwise it is like wasting an estate on a suit at law to regulate the trespasses of a tenant whose lease is just expiring no man was a warmer wisher for reconciliation than myself before the fatal nineteenth of april seventeen seventy five but the moment the event of that day was made known I rejected the hardened, sullen-tempered pharaoh of England for ever, and disdained the wretch that with the pretended title of father of his people can unfeelingly hear of their slaughter and composedly sleep with their blood upon his soul. But admitting that matters were now made up, what would be the event? I answer the ruin of the continent, and that for several reasons. First the powers of governing still remaining in the hands of the king, he will have a negative over the whole legislation of this continent. And as he hath shown himself such an inveterate enemy to liberty, and discovered such a thirst for arbitrary power, is he, or is he not, a proper man to say to these colonies, You shall make no laws but what I please? And is there any inhabitant in America so ignorant? as not to know that, according to what is called the present Constitution, that this continent can make no laws but what the king gives leave to, and is there any man so unwise as not to see that, considering what has happened, he will suffer no law to be made here but such as suit his purpose? We may be as effectually enslaved by the want of laws in America as by submitting to laws made for us in England. After matters are made up as it is called, can there be any doubts but the whole power of the crown will be exerted to keep this continent as low and humble as possible instead of going forward? We shall go backward or be perpetually quarrelling or ridiculously petitioning. We are already greater than the king wishes us to be, and will he not hereafter endeavour to make us less to bring the matter to one point? IS THE POWER WHO IS JEALOUS OF OUR PROSPERITY A PROPER POWER TO GOVERN US? WHOEVER SAYS NO TO THIS QUESTION IS AN INDEPENDENT, FOR INDEPENDENCY MEANS NO MORE THAN WHETHER WE SHALL MAKE OUR OWN LAWS, OR WHETHER THE KING, THE GREATEST ENEMY THIS CONTINENT HATH OR CAN HAVE, SHALL TELL US, THERE SHALL BE NO LAWS BUT SUCH AS I LIKE. BUT THE KING, YOU WILL SAY, HAS A NEGATIVE IN ENGLAND? THE PEOPLE THERE CAN MAKE NO LAWS WITHOUT HIS CONSENT. IN POINT OF RIGHT AND GOOD ORDER THERE IS SOMETHING VERY RIDICULOUS THAT A YOUTH OF TWENTY-ONE, WHICH HATH OFTEN HAPPENED, SHALL SAY TO SEVERAL MILLIONS OF PEOPLE OLDER AND WISER THAN HIMSELF, I FORBID THIS OR THAT ACT OF YOURS TO BE LAW. BUT IN THIS PLACE I DECLINE THIS SORT OF REPLY. BUT IN THIS PLACE I DECLINE THIS SORT OF REPLY though I will never cease to expose the absurdity of it, and only answer that England being the king's residence, and America not so, makes quite another case. The king's negative here is ten times more dangerous and fatal than it can be in England, for there he will scarcely refuse his consent to a bill for putting England into as strong a state of defence as possible, and in America he would never suffer such a bill to be passed america is only a secondary object in the system of british politics england consults the good of this country no farther than it answers her own purpose wherefore her own interest leads her to suppress the growth of ours in every case which doth not promote her advantage or in the least interferes with it a pretty state we should soon be in under such a second-hand government considering what has happened men do not change from enemies to friends by the alteration of a name and in order to show that reconciliation now is a dangerous doctrine i affirm that it would be policy in the king at this time to repeal the acts for the sake of reinstating himself in the government of the provinces in order that he may accomplish by craft and subtlety in the long run what he cannot do by force and violence in the short one reconciliation and ruin are nearly related secondly that as even the best terms which we can expect to obtain can amount to no more than a temporary expedient or a kind of government by guardianship which can last no longer than till the colonies come of age so the general face and state of things in the interim will be unsettled and unpromising Emigrants of property will not choose to come to a country whose form of government hangs but by a thread, and who is every day tottering on the brink of commotion and disturbance, and numbers of the present inhabitants would lay hold of the interval to dispense of their effects and quit the continent. But the most powerful of all arguments is that nothing but independence, that is a continental form of government, can keep the peace of the continent and preserve it inviolate from civil wars i dread the event of a reconciliation with britain now as it is more than probable that it will be followed by a revolt somewhere or other the consequences of which may be far more fatal than all the malice of britain thousands are already ruined by british barbarity thousands more will suffer the same fate those men who have other feelings than us have nothing suffered all they now possess is liberty what they before enjoyed is sacrificed to its service and having nothing more to lose they disdain submission besides the general temper of the colonies towards a british government will be like that of a youth who is nearly out of his time they will care very little about her and a government which cannot preserve the peace is no government at all and, in that case, we pay our money for nothing and pray, what is it that Britain can do, whose power will be wholly on paper, should a civil tumult break out the very day after reconciliation? I have heard some men say, many of whom I believe spoke without thinking, that they are dreaded an independence, fearing that it would produce civil wars. It is but seldom that our first thoughts are truly correct, and that is the case here for there are ten times more to dread from a patched-up connection than from independence. I make the sufferer's case my own, and I protest that were I driven from house and home, my property destroyed, and my circumstances ruined, that as man, sensible of injuries, I would never relish the doctrine of reconciliation or consider myself bound thereby." THE COLONIES HAVE MANIFESTED SUCH A SPIRIT OF GOOD ORDER AND OBEDIENCE TO CONTINENTAL GOVERNMENT AS IS SUFFICIENT TO MAKE EVERY REASONABLE PERSON EASY AND HAPPY ON THAT HEAD. NO MAN CAN ASSIGN THE LEAST PRETENSE FOR HIS FEARS ON ANY OTHER GROUNDS THAN SUCH AS TRULY CHILDISH AND RIDICULOUS, THAT IS, THAT ONE COLONY WILL BE STRIVING FOR SUPERIORITY OVER ANOTHER. WHERE THERE ARE NO DISTINCTIONS, THERE CAN BE NO SUPERIORITY perfect equality affords no temptation the republics of europe are all and we may say always in peace holland and switzerland are without wars foreign or domestic monarchical governments it is true are never long at rest the crown itself is a temptation to enterprising ruffians at home and that degree of pride and insolence ever attendant on regal authority swells into a rupture with foreign powers in instances where a republican government by being formed on more natural principles would negotiate the mistake if there is any true cause of fear respecting independence it is because no plan is yet laid down men do not see their way out wherefore as an opening into that business i offer the following hints at the same time modestly affirming that i have no other opinion of them myself than that they may be the means of giving rise to something better could the straggling thoughts of individuals be collected they would frequently form materials for wise and able men to improve into useful matter let the assemblies be annual with a president only the representation more equal their business wholly domestic and subject to the authority of a Continental Congress. Let each colony be divided into six, eight, or ten convenient districts, each district to send a proper number of delegates to Congress, so that each colony send at least thirty. The whole number in Congress will be at least three hundred ninety. Each Congress to sit and choose a President by the following method. When the delegates are met, let a colony be taken from the whole thirteen colonies by lot after which, let the whole Congress choose, by ballot, a President from out of the delegates of that province. In the next Congress, let a colony be taken by lot from twelve only, omitting that colony from which the President was taken in the former Congress, and so proceeding on till the whole thirteen shall have had their proper rotation, and in order that nothing may pass into law but what is satisfactorily just, not less than three-fifths of the Congress to be called a majority. He that will promote discord under a government so equally formed as this would have joined Lucifer in his revolt. But as there is a peculiar delicacy from whom or in what manner this business must first arise, and as it seems almost agreeable and consistent that it should come from some intermediate body between the governed and the governors, that is, between Congress and the people, let a continental conference be held, in the following manner and for the following purpose a committee of twenty-six members of congress that is two for each colony two members from each house of assembly or provincial convention and five representatives of the people at large to be chosen in the capital city or town of each province for and in behalf of the whole province by as many qualified voters as shall think proper to attend from all parts of the province for that purpose or if more convenient the representatives may be chosen in two or three of the most populous parts thereof. In this conference thus assembled will be united the two grand principles of business knowledge and power. The members of Congress, assemblies, or conventions, by having had experience in national concerns, will be able and useful counselors, and the whole, being empowered by the people, will have a truly legal authority the conferring members being met let their business be to frame a continental charter or charter of the united colonies answering to what is called the magna carta of england fixing the number and manner of choosing members of congress members of assembly with their date sitting and drawing the line of business and jurisdiction between them always remembering that our strength is continental not provincial securing freedom and property to all men and above all things the free exercise of religion according to the dictates of conscience with such other matter as is necessary for a charter to contain immediately after which the said conference to dissolve and the bodies which shall be chosen conformable to the said charter to be the legislators and governors of this continent for the time being whose peace and happiness may god preserve amen Should any body of men be hereafter delegated for this or some similar purpose, I offer them the following extracts from that wise observer on governments, Dragonetti. The science, says he, of the politician consists in fixing the true point of happiness and freedom. Those men would deserve the gratitude of ages who should discover a mode of government that contained the greatest sum of individual happiness with the least national expense. But where, says some, is the king of America? I'll tell you, friend, he reigns above and doth not make havoc of mankind like the royal brute of Britain. Yet that we may not appear to be defective even in earthly honors, let a day be solemnly set apart for proclaiming the charter. Let it be brought forth placed on the divine law, the word of God. Let a crown be placed thereon by which the world may know THAT SO FAR AS WE APPROVE IN AMERICA, THAT IN AMERICA THE LAW IS KING. FOR AS IN ABSOLUTE GOVERNMENTS THE KING IS LAW, SO IN FREE COUNTRIES THE LAW OUGHT TO BE KING, AND THERE OUGHT TO BE NO OTHER. BUT LEST ANY ILL USE SHOULD AFTERWARDS ARISE, LET THE CROWN AT THE CONCLUSION OF THE CEREMONY BE DEMOLISHED, AND SCATTERED AMONG THE PEOPLE WHOSE RIGHT IT IS. A GOVERNMENT OF OUR OWN IS OUR NATURAL RIGHT and when a man seriously reflects on the precariousness of human affairs, he will become convinced that it is infinitely wiser and safer to form a constitution of our own in a cool deliberate manner, while we have it in our power, than to trust such an interesting event to time and chance. If we omit it now, some Massanello may hereafter arise, who, laying hold of popular disquietudes, may collect together the desperate and the discontented, and by assuming to themselves the powers of government, may sweep away the liberties of the continent like a deluge. Should the government of America return again into the hands of Britain, the tottering situation of things will be a temptation for some desperate adventurer to try his fortune. And in such a case, what relief can Britain give? Ere she could hear the news, the fatal business might be done." and ourselves suffering like the wretched britons under the oppression of the conqueror ye that oppose independence now ye know not what ye do ye are opening a door to eternal tyranny by keeping vacant the seat of government there are thousands and tens of thousands who would think it glorious to expel from the continent that barbarous and hellish power which hath stirred up the indians and negroes to destroy us the cruelty hath a double guilt it is dealing brutally by us and treacherously by them to talk of friendship with those in whom our reason forbids us to have faith and our affections wounded through a thousand pores instruct us to detest is madness and folly every day wears out the little remains of kindred between us and them and can there be any reason to hope that as the relationship expires the affection will increase or that we shall agree better when we have ten times more and greater concerns to quarrel over than ever ye that tell us of harmony and reconciliation can ye restore us to the time that is past can ye give to prostitution its former innocence neither can you reconcile britain and america the last cord now is broken the people of england are presenting addresses against us there are injuries which nature cannot forgive she would cease to be nature if she did as well can the lover forgive the ravisher of his mistress as the continent forgive the murders of britain the almighty hath implanted in us those inextinguishable feelings for good and wise purposes they are the guardians of his image in our hearts They distinguish us from the herd of common animals. The social compact would dissolve, and justice be extirpated the earth, or have only a casual existence, where we callous to the touches of affection. The robber and the murderer would often escape unpunished, did not the injuries which our tempers sustain provoke us into justice. O ye that love mankind! ye that dare oppose not only the tyranny but the tyrant, stand forth. Every spot of the old world is overrun with oppression. Freedom hath been hunted round the globe, Asia and Africa have long expelled her, Europe regards her like a stranger, and England hath given her warning to depart. O receive the fugitive, and prepare in time an asylum from mankind. End of part three.